Hello and welcome to LSH Talks, a podcast hosting important conversations within the commercial property network. In today's episode, I'm joined with LSH's Steve Hemming, Head of Planning, Development and Regeneration, MJ O'Neill, Head of Planning and Group Land and New Homes Director at Connell's, Roger Barrett. We will be discussing the recent survey into residential development and how the government must tackle planning reform. Thank you all for joining me today on the podcast. So MJ, what are the key findings of the Residential Development Market Survey? The full results are actually available on our website and social media. I guess I can say quite quickly that some of the key findings, to a certain extent, they're not surprising. It was really felt that the current planning system is the largest single obstacle to residential development, according to the research. The overriding message from respondents was clear that central government must tackle reform for once and for all. In addition, forced to simplify overly onerous process, reduce red tape and speed up the planning system and invest in council planning resources were echoed across the board. For example, 74% of those surveyed felt that central government was just not doing enough. So what more does central government need to do to support the delivery of new housing? Yeah, I suppose being slightly flippant, you might say stop moving the goalposts. What I mean by that is We had the 2020 white paper came out and it was promising a once in a generation change, but we seem to have seen continuous change since the early 1990s, you know, with going one way and another. What we need to see is clarity from the government about how we can deliver housing. They talk about the length of time that local plans take to be delivered you know on the flip of that mary jane just referenced as one of the, you know one of the findings of the, the survey was that local authorities are woefully under resourced we've seen that in day-to-day interaction with them both on policy side and development management side and it's very difficult for them to to work through the pretty complicated process we have at the moment both for local plans and for planning applications i think as well we need a, a a sensible debate and this needs to be led by the government about greenfield versus brownfield development everybody says you know we need to protect the green belt but there's a bit of a lack of understanding about what green belt really is everyone says build on brownfield sites but a lot of those sites are undevelopable or unviable for the delivery of housing without substantial government money in essence i suppose it it just needs some clarity and we i think we're going to talk a bit later about you know what michael gove might bring to the equation but you know it is just clarity and moving forward some of the stuff in the white paper and fixing the system for a period of time that we can get on and work in the new system. I think it's interesting that um, with the departure of Generic earlier in the year we seem to be making some progress and going in in a certain direction at least but it seems to me that sort of uh, since Mr. Gove got into into bat, it, it it seems to sort of grind to a halt a wee bit, and it's a bit like he wants to rewrite the, the rule book. And you know, with messages coming out as you just mentioned, Stephen, about brownfield development, which we've been hearing for the last 15, 20 years, it all it all seems a bit old hat. And I and I don't think you know if you talk to any of the developers, they've got other challenges around housing delivery. Of course they have, but the, the prime one is still planning. It's still planning. The delays it takes, you know, the bringing forward of some of these larger development schemes is even more challenging than it was before. Um, and and they're, 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 for me, there are no real signs that it's changing. So how would you say that permitted development rights have affected delivery? I think the results from our survey are actually quite clear on this. 76% of the respondents considered that the new permitted development rights would have a limited impact on housing delivery. And the key reasons for that is that there has become an extra layers of complexity around the whole process for prior approval from the new class E to residential. And they're also 
caps on the floor space, which means it's not really economically viable for developers to spend out all of that, that money on the various documents that are now required to, to gain the, the approval. Um, if it's only going to mean 1,500 square metres of, of residential development can be delivered as a result, they would much rather go down the proper planning process and, and, and get more definite outcomes as a result, because at the moment, the prior approval process has become overly complicated. And I, I think councils themselves are, are struggling to understand how to even apply some of the new rules, particularly in relation to um, conservation areas, etc. I don't see it's going to help speed up or, or solve the housing issues at all. No, I think when the when the initial permitted development rights were brought in for for change of use of offices to residential, that that did deliver quite a number of units. Some of them not really very satisfactory, but it you know it it did allow for some quite big floor spaces to be converted to residential. And we've seen some quite successful uh, conversions through the through the PDR the initial PDR um, rights. But you know most of those buildings that that made economic sense to be converted you know the sort of secondary slash tertiary space they've all been done so you know you're not going to get the numbers coming forward from that so as as mary jane says it's now quite limited in terms of what, what they're going to bring forward so roger how would you say that covid has changed the nature of housing demands i mean i think it certainly has and the obvious short-term changes are the increasing demand for more indoor and outdoor garden space. We've also seen an increase in demand for two, three and four bed traditional housing rather than apartments away from the city centres. And, and I think I think that looks set to continue in my mind, even though life is returning to, well, I don't know what a new normal is, but you know we continue to see many people's working patterns changing. And as a consequence, they don't need to commute as they did, um, are working from home, they've got a more flexible lifestyle. So there's, there's lots of things around that piece which, which developers are sort of latching on to. And, you know, some of them are easy to fix. You know, if you've got a detached house with a garden, you've got a detached with a garden. But if you need more space to work from home and a bit more flexibility, that, that that's a bit of a challenge that they're working on in terms of how they, their house type designs evolve and, and what, what your home living looks like. So, so from that, there's, there's, there's lots going on around that. And, and I, I don't see that situation changing. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's now reflected in the price changes that we've seen over um, recent months, um, certainly the year to date, and also our views about where it's going to go in the future, which I know we're, we're, we're discussing later. So We've also seen um, those changes starting to reflect in the planning applications that we're either having to amend or are about to put in. A lot of our clients are looking at those smaller units and deciding to take those out, trying to provide more flexible space to allow for open planned living as when it's required, but also the ability to shut things off so that they can work quietly if they need to work from home. In regards to sustainability, how do you see this changing the design and the delivery of housing in the future? I think there's probably two strands to this. There's the, the sort of move towards net carbon zero and with the government bringing in the future home standard in 2025 and sort of low carbon heating systems, high levels of energy efficiency and so forth. But there's also the sustainability element that, that planning has always really tried to, to follow, that having work close to where people live, those sorts of elements, having you know recreational space and 
picking up on some of what Roger was just saying there about the, the changes that have come about by COVID with more people home working and you know I think we're going to see a move back to the office but at the same time there's going to be more flexibility about where people work you know some of those some of those design changes delivery changes are going to come about through that I mean as far as future home standard goes you know we're, we're four years out from that being introduced and I think there's still some uncertainty around how that is going to look and we're, we're working with Homes England at the moment on a couple of projects that are looking at this and you know what elements can be introduced what difference does it make to price and importantly how is that going to be perceived and viewed by the the, the consumer the, the, the house purchaser because you know if you put another 10 fifteen thousand pounds on the price of the house you know do people recognize that that can be paid back through you know, lower energy bills and so forth. So that's something which we probably can't answer here and now, but hopefully, you know, as, as things become clearer and, and certainly developers are looking at this very closely about how they do deliver uh, a future home standard housing. You know, I think it will become clearer over the next few years, the direction of travel that, that we're going to be taking. I think I think what's interesting around that piece particularly is, is that that requires not only a change from the development industry, but it also requires us to educate the buying public what it is that actually they're getting, because it all sounds great, but I think there's an awful lot of uncertainty around that. And, and people will only continue to pay a, a, what I would describe as a premium price if they can make a premium saving, you know, that, 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 that's part of the issue. You know, there's the moral issue about whether you, whether you buy a house that's eco-friendly in whatever form or, or whether you're doing it because you, you want to save the planet and you want to save some money. <laughs> that's the cold heart of day. I'm, I'm a light of day about it, I'm afraid. Roger, from Connell's perspective, how will house prices be affected in the future in terms of supply versus demand? For the new home sector particularly, I think it's a combination of two. I think it's supply and demand is is one part of the equation. I think the other part is the new home's premium that developers are able to obtain for their product. You know, talking about, you know, changes in in, in the way that these houses are built, um, the eco-benefit of that, um, the the, the price premium that they're able to change for a more sustainable product, uh, for something that's new, that requires little or no maintenance, you know, there's there's all there's lots of things that make up the, the, the house price um, scenario, if you like. But what is clear is that we've continued to see house prices and double digit house prices as well increases throughout this year. And the new homes premium is 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 partly in play in, in that. And also in play is the major lack of supply in the secondhand market. So, you know, we've got the lowest numbers of properties for sale across the UK as it currently stands in the secondhand market. So demand for new is going to continue to be strong. And there's some interesting land registry data that's that's been published recently about how that, that sort of impacts across the whole of the UK. What, what's really interesting is, is, that, is that London itself has recorded the smallest increase of any region over the last 10 months. I think it's something like 2.8%. Um, apartments are more difficult to sell with prices up just 0.75%. Interestingly, detached houses in London were up 10%, semi-detached 8%, and terraced homes by 5.5%. So that sort of partly reflects what we've been discussing about, you know, the, 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 what, you, what type of house you live in and the benefits that gives you. And across the UK overall, you know, we've seen, once again, double-digit house prices up to September. It was around 11.8%. So, you know, that, that clearly shows that, that prices as they currently are with the current circumstances are here to say certainly at their current levels and there's there's actually no real reason why they won't increase 
affordability remains particularly good, although there are the first signs really of, of possible mortgage rate increases coming down the line. But if you look at some of the sort of fixed mortgage deals that you can get at the moment, you know, they're very, very low and, and will encourage more people onto the housing ladder, I'm sure. But I, I suppose the, 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 the other question here to be answered by the developer is how can they meet their targets for delivery? And with the best will in the world, whether it be 300,000 or 200,000, <laughs> which is a big difference, it, it, it's going to take some doing. Um, and unless we see a really simple way in which we can free up the planning system, and, and, what, and what that means for me is that developers are able to obtain more implementable planning consents. So planning consents where they can go and lay some bricks on the site and, and do all that, that initial work to actually get that development going. Now, I see so many planning approvals come through with numerous pre-commencement conditions and, and, and it just stifles the process. You know, when developers spend 18 months, two years, even longer, discharging all of those conditions before they can put a spade in the ground. And that just can't be right. That just can't be right. So, you know, put all that together in the mix and I see no reason why house prices are going to go anywhere but but upwards, certainly over the course of the next next year or so. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, from the, the start point of land, we're certainly seeing increasing demand from developers for sites. You know, whereas in the past, we would have seen offers coming in on a conditional basis. More and more developers are bidding on an unconditional basis and, you know, with some quite exceptional values coming forward well above what we would have expected for sites and that has to flow through into house prices but as roger says you know developers don't want to tie up significant sums of money in land to then next spend the next 18 months dealing with you know conditions around that, that are imposed on planning consents when very often that information has been provided as part of the planning application which is, is frustrating for for developers and consultants and i would have thought frustrating for for the, uh, the local planning authorities as well. So. so to round up the episode, if you had one key ask for Michael Gove in terms of supporting the delivery of new housing, what would this be? That's a really good question. I'm tempted to ask for more wishes because the, the, the system has become so overly complicated and slow. But seriously, quite a lot of the issues faced in terms of housing delivery, which includes both plan making and the development management side of the process, are the consequence of years of underfunding for planning authority resources. I know for a fact that a lot of our developer clients would be happy to pay more if this was matched by more certainty and swifter decision making. But without the key resources on the ground, this becomes very challenging. More certainty at a central government level would also really help us understand the direction of new policy and the approaches to housing need in particular, which is also a key consideration when our developer clients are a buying land for new sites, but also taking those sites through the planning process. I also agree with something um, raised earlier that Greenbelt and the correlation with severe under-delivery in, in those areas, it simply cannot be ignored. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what Gove is intending to announce, which I'm heard, I've heard is just before Christmas, I'm told. You're just picking up on what you were saying, Mary, about wishes. I suppose the, the one wish I have is, is that, A, that local authorities are are resourced properly, you know, to be able to deal properly with some of the major applications that are in train at the moment. And, and where the local authorities are employing planning officers to do all the due diligence and, and make sure that the applications are compliant and he completes his planning report to committee, which recommends approval, a way in which he would be listened to and, and, and not overturned by members 
you know, because that's what they want to do. And until we get through that hurdle, I think um, it's going to be a long, hard road. You know, stop moving the goalposts, stop keep changing the direction of, of travel of policy, because, you know, we see so many changes, which in, in effect are, are sort of reversing previous decisions or previous policy direction. And, and that, you know, both for, for local authorities and for developers is is difficult, is frustrating, is ultimately putting a, a, a break on the delivery of housing, which is what, you know, both sides, if you want to call it both sides, us and them, which it isn't, you know, that they, they can actually get on and, and deliver housing, for which is clearly very much needed. Yeah, I think I think the other, the other interesting thing is is the role of registered providers, housing associations, and the like about what they contribute. You know, they're they're all they're all gearing up. There are some major players out there in the marketplace that are bringing forward private shared ownership, affordable rent schemes, and I, I, I just get the impression that that perhaps they're getting a slightly easier ride in some respects. Um, I still have challenges, but I, I get the impression that may well be the case. And so there is, there's certain, we've certainly seen an increase in partnering with the private sector, you know, with, with, with developers or house builders, you know, which is a much more willing part of the process today than it was maybe five or six years ago. And, and that's got to be good news because that, that, that will all aid delivery of all house types across the sector so you know i think we should encourage that and and certainly we're we're trying to work with our developer clients in building those relations and 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 bringing forward some of these major opportunities that exist you know right across the uk to view the survey in its entirety please visit the link in the description of this podcast please also visit our linkedin to keep up to date with latest news and reports